Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, a message I've entitled today, The Yoke, The Yoke. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Thank you. you may be seated. So we're talking about a yoke today. If you don't know what a yoke is, you'll find out as we go along. But there was a farmer and his bride. They had just married, and they were riding home from the church in a wagon drawn by two horses yoked together. Well, along the way, one of the horses stumbled, and the farmer said, now that's once. A little further down the road, the same horse stumbled again, and the farmer said, that's twice. Going a little further, the same horse stumbled again. The farmer said nothing, but he reached under the seat, pulled out a shotgun, and shot the horse. Well, his bride was shocked, and she yelled at the farmer, that was an awful thing for you to do. The farmer looked at her and said, now that's once. <laughs> Let's look this morning at the yoke, the yoke. The first yoke I want to look at from the scriptures is what I call the yoke of submission, the yoke of submission. And this comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest under your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to notice first of all the invitation in that verse. Jesus says come to me. He's inviting come to me. And then he gives instructions. Once you come to him here's your instructions. The first one he says is take. Take my yoke upon you. We are to take Jesus' yoke upon us. Now, that's not a physical yoke, like you're going to see a picture of one later on, but the yoke is obviously symbolic. It is symbolic, first of all, of ownership. When you come to Christ, that means, and you take his yoke, that means he owns you. He owns you. He is your master. We become his servants or slaves. And by the way, this was Paul's frequent description of himself. When you read Paul's letters, in his introduction, he often calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. Well, slaves have to be purchased. Well, we have been bought by Jesus' blood. But here's the good news. Jesus is a benevolent master having only our best interests in mind. In fact, all of his commands that Jesus gives us are for our benefit. If we obey his commands, that will help keep us out of earthly trouble. That will help keep us out of eternal trouble. It will keep us out of trouble with God himself because the scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7 that God chastens those whom he loves. And so this yoke that Jesus says to take upon you, it is symbolic of ownership, his ownership of us. But secondly, it is symbolic of servanthood. Yokes are used for working. We are saved to serve. We're not forced to serve. We are not slave labor. We desire to serve. Once we come to Jesus, we take that yoke upon us, and our desire is to serve, serving our Lord and serving one another. But we don't serve alone. We have help. Now, I mentioned I'd show you some yokes. Human yokes help to carry a load. The guy on the left there kind of looks like, I don't know, an Amish guy or maybe Charles Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. He's got a yoke across his shoulder there. That's helping him carry a load. Or the animal yoke there to the right, you, you put two animals together and you can get twice the amount of work, twice the amount of power out of that. And so even though we want to serve the Lord, we have help because we're yoked together. 
These animals could do more together than they could alone. They could help each other do the work. Something I teach whenever somebody joins a church, I always teach a new members class, and one of the things I teach them is A, B, C. I'm talking about Baptists. All Baptists cooperate. Now, to be quite frank, Baptists don't get along with each other, but we cooperate. All Baptists cooperate. And so we work together. We're yoked together as we serve the Lord. We are fellow laborers together in God's field. And notice what something Jesus says about his service. When we get yoked to him, if you look at the last sentence, it says, Our service will be light. He says, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Our service to him will be light. Now, that doesn't mean it won't be important. That doesn't mean our service won't be challenging. That doesn't mean our service won't be discouraging. That doesn't mean our service won't be frustrating. But it will be light, meaning that we are gifted to serve so that our service is not burdensome. The indwelling Holy Spirit makes our service possible and effective. And if you're worried about serving, maybe you're not serving the Lord right now, and you're worried about serving, know this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so when God calls you, he will gift you for what he has called you to do. And so God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so we see the invitation. Jesus says, come to me. And then here are instructions. The first instruction, take my yoke upon you. The second instruction is learn. He says, learn of me. We can know Jesus individually. We can learn more about Jesus personally. And he gives us a quick summary of his nature in that same passage. He says, I am meek and lowly. Jesus isn't in this for himself. He is meek and he is lowly. And that just gives us a little thumbnail of the rest of who he is. And what we learn from that is that Jesus isn't about rules. He's about relationships. He's about relationships. He wants to know you and he wants to know me in a personal way, in a personal relationship. He doesn't want somebody that's going to obey a whole list of rules. He doesn't have a problem with rules, but it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. And so the instruction, take my yoke upon you. Secondly, learn of me. And then thirdly, he says, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. You see, we rest from earning our salvation. Salvation is a free gift from God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that Jesus was buried for your sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead, that's what brings you salvation. It's a free gift from God by grace through faith. And so we can rest when it comes to our salvation. We don't have to earn our salvation in this life. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to give enough. We don't have to attend church enough. But the Jews of Jesus' day, when he spoke these words, they thought obedience to the law was the only way to be saved. Obey all the rules. I just said earlier, Jesus isn't about the rules. He's about a relationship. But they thought they just had to obey all the rules. Well, I'm telling you what, it was not true in their day, and it's not true in our day. And yet, this is still what people believe. All I got to do is obey the rules. I just got to be good enough. I just got to give enough. I just got to go to church enough. When I'm out witnessing and others, we constantly hear this. I'm a good person. I know, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Well, you know who disagrees with that? The word of God. It says there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none righteous. No, not one. Nobody does good. 
Oh, we might be good compared to somebody else, but compared to the perfection and the holiness of Almighty God, nobody is good. And so anyway, Jesus says, you come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'll give you rest. Not only does that make, not only do we not have to earn our salvation, but we will rest in the life to come. Heaven is, among other things, a place of rest. We rest from our earthly labors, yet we continue to serve. Look what John writes here in Revelation 22 and verse 3. There shall be no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. Watch this. And his servants shall serve him. So our earthly labors are over, but even in heaven we're still serving. We're still serving. But let me issue a warning. Those who are not saved, those who are not going to heaven, they will have no rest forever and ever and ever. John writes about that again in Revelation 14, 11. He said, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. And so we've seen the yoke of submission. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Rest. Secondly, I want us to look at the yoke of separation. The yoke of separation. Now this is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 where Paul writes, Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? The yoke of separation. Paul states that we are not to be unequally yoked. Now the Greek word, phrase, for unequally yoked uh, means hitching together two different animals. That's actually what he's talking about, hitching together two different animals. And by the way, this is prohibited in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 10 that says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. And so he's using that as his background from the Old Testament, and he's bringing it into his current time, and he's saying believers and unbelievers should not be yoked, connected together. Now, in what ways can believers and unbelievers be unequally yoked? Well, the first way that most people think of is in marriage, of course, marriage. That an unbeliever and a believer shouldn't be married. The problem is, when people are young and in love, they think, you know, faith doesn't really matter. Going to church doesn't really matter. Reading the Bible, that doesn't really matter. I just, I just want to be with him. I just want to be with her. And, and faith doesn't matter. But you know what? Maturity, and especially once children come along, all of a sudden faith gets really, really important. And so rather than deal with that conflict then, make sure when you marry, two believers, two believers. But another one would be business. Don't be unequally yoked together with somebody in business. I'm thinking of partnerships specifically here. But even you, whoever you work for, whatever company you work for, you should consider the morals of the company for which you work. What do they support? What do they promote? What do they allow? You should take that into consideration. Don't be unequally yoked in that way. And then when it comes to close friendships, and I'm talking about being best friends, we certainly need to be friends with anybody that will be our friend, whether they are believers or unbelievers. But a best friend, your closest relationship or relationships, should not be unequally yoked. Two believers belong together. But the area they want to focus on even more today is we should not be unequally yoked concerning our worldview. A worldview is how we look at things, how we look through the lens of the Scripture and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we're all Americans. 
I don't mean just in this room. I mean from sea to shiny sea. We're all Americans. But let me say this as believers. We do not support the current secular American worldview. And let me give you a few examples. We don't support that abortion is health care instead of murder. We don't support that the pride movement is normal, not perverse. We don't support that gender denial and fluidity is natural, not confusion. We don't support that. Oh, we're Americans, but we reject the current secular American worldview. Why? Because we need to be separate. We need to be separate. We are to be separate from the world. Paul mentions that here in 2 Corinthians 6.17. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. We need to be separate. So we don't go with the flow. We don't say, well, you know, everybody's doing this. Everybody's thinking this, so I'm going to think it too. No, we need to be separate. We need to be separate. Separation is essential for consecration. Don't misunderstand. We must interact with the unbelieving world. We must share Jesus with the unbelieving world. But we must not be like the world. We need to be distinct, not distant. We need to engage in separation, not isolation. The world is unholy. We are to be holy. That word holy means to be set apart, to be set aside. It's not just what we are now. It's what we do now. We need to be holy. We are to be in the world without being of the world. Let me just ask you a couple pointed questions right now. Think about how you live your life who you're yoked to, how you're yoked to those people, your worldview, and so on. Are you a witness or are you worldly? Are you separate or are you synced with the world? I don't know the answer to that. You answer that for yourself. Are you worldly or are you a witness? Are you separate or are you synced? You see, the challenge of each Christian generation is to influence the world without being influenced by the world. Amen. We need to influence the world for Jesus Christ. We don't need the world who's living for Satan to influence us. And it is a challenge that is active in every single Christian generation. And so we're challenged to come out from among them and be separate. We are challenged to not be unequally yoked, whether that's marriage or friendship or business or however it expresses itself. We must be separate. So we've seen the yoke of submission. We've seen the yoke of separation. Thirdly, I want us to look at the yoke of service. The yoke of service. And again, we're going to go back to Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, but I'm going to add verse 2 as well. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, as we mentioned, yokes are used to do work. For humans, it's to help us carry a load. For animals, it's to multiply the effort. But notice that Paul mentions a true yoke fellow. He says, I entreat you also true yoke fellow. He mentions a true yoke fellow. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament, yoke fellow. The only time it's used. And notice Paul doesn't mention a name. He doesn't say, well, I mentioned, uh, I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, uh, Gary, or something like that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't mention a name at all. In fact, some suggest 
that yoke fellow is the name. The word yoke fellow is syzygist, if I'm saying that right, syzygist. You know how in Greeks they had all kind of weird names. You read them in the Bible. But anyway, uh, the fact of the matter is it's syzygist. In other words, Paul is saying your name means yoke fellow, and that's exactly what you are. You help people. You serve people. Well, we know from when I read before in verse 2, two ladies, Euodius and Syntyche, they needed help. And Paul knew just whom to ask. He mentions them in verse 2, these two ladies. And he says, And I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women. You say, why didn't Paul help them himself? Is he too busy? Does he think he's too important? No. Paul was actually sitting in jail when he wrote the book of Philippians. He could not help these ladies. But he knew who could. And so he called on his friend, whom he could trust, either yoke fellow or syzygist, whichever it is. He said, you need to help those ladies. And notice that Paul had some help from these ladies. These women had worked with Paul spreading the gospel. Not only that, they also worked with a man named Clement. Do you see that? He said, I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. And Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And so they not only helped Paul spread the gospel, they helped this guy Clement, whoever he is, and they helped other unnamed believers. Now those unnamed believers are unknown to us. We don't know who those, uh, he, he says, other my fellow laborers. We don't know who they are. But you know who does know who they are? God does. And you know why? Because they're in the book of life. They're in God's book of life. So we have no idea who they were. We don't know what their names were. Doesn't matter. God knows who they are. And they were written in his book of life. Now, if you've never heard of the book of life before, the book of life contains a list of everybody who's saved. Everybody who's received Christ as personal Savior. When you receive Christ as Savior, your name gets written in indelible ink in the book of life. It can never be scratched out. It can never be erased. It can never be removed. That is the book of life. And I'm here to tell you, humbly, my name is in the book of life. My name is in the book of life. I know that because I know Jesus as my Savior. But let me ask you another pointed question. Is your name in the book of life? I don't know. Only you know. And God knows. My name is. Is yours? I will tell you, your name can be in the book of life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The way my name got written in the book of life is I invited Jesus Christ in my heart. I believe he died for my sins, was buried for my sins, and rose again the third day. And the moment I did that, I was seven years old. I wasn't baptized yet, but guess what? My name was written. And the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, whether you've been baptized, joined a church, it doesn't matter. Once you receive Christ as your Savior, your name is written down forever. My name's written down. My question is your name written in the book of life? It can be by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now let me get to what this whole message was supposed to be about. And that is that we have men who desire to serve but are not ordained deacons. We have men in our church who desire to serve but they are not ordained deacons. They're called yoke fellows. Yoke fellows. From this verse. True yoke fellow. You know, I've been talking about that the whole time. They're called yoke fellows. Yoke fellows are servants. Now, you, you probably know what a deacon is. I've talked about deacons many times. The word deacon means servant. So our deacons are servants. But what is a yoke fellow? A servant. 
Okay? So a deacon is a servant. A yoke fellow is a servant. Yoke fellows come alongside our deacons to help them serve. And let me tell you a few things about yoke fellows. They are believers in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. They are also church members. Secondly, they are chosen by the deacon body. They're not chosen by the church. They're chosen by the deacons. They are not ordained. They are not church officers. They are servants, servants. Remember, a deacon, that word means servant, and that's what our deacons do. They serve. And these yoke fellows help our deacons. So they are servants, servants. Your deacons are here to serve you. And yoke fellows are here to serve your deacons who are here to serve you. Now, Glenn Miller, the chairman of our deacons here, he introduced this concept of yoke fellows all the way back at our spring business meeting. He explained all of it. He gave the scripture, and he said what it is and how it works and so on, everything I'm sort of repeating now. He went into much more depth. And we are pleased as a deacon body to announce that we have two yoke fellows, Gary Boston and Marion Simpson. And Gary and, and Marion will serve in cooperation with and under the direction of our deacons. They're not lone wolves out there doing whatever they want to do. They serve with and under the direction of our deacons. But remember, they are servants, servants. And in just a few moments, but not yet, but in just a few moments, we're going to ask Gary and Marion to come forward, as well as Glenn Miller, the chairman of our deacons. And Glenn is going to lead us in a prayer of setting aside these two yoke fellows as servants, servants. So this morning, as we looked at the yoke, we saw, first of all, the yoke of submission. There's an invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Then he gives some instruction. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'll give you rest. Then secondly, we looked at the yoke of separation. We're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers whether that's marriage or business or best friends, certainly the worldview. And then thirdly, we've looked at the yoke of service. And in particular, when it comes to service, we have these two men who want to help our deacons serve. And so at this time, Gary, Marion, Glenn, if you would come, because we want the church, this, these are your servants, and we want the church to be a part of this. And so we're going to pray as, have a prayer of setting aside these two yoke fellows, Gary and Marion. And who knows, maybe in the future there'll be more and more yoke fellows that these two have helped set the example.